Um, morning of cultivation and I don't know about you but I find each time I sit down or I'm doing something it's about you know just checking out what I'm doing and why and I've in practicing meditation and practicing Anapanasati this is vital we've been you know, talking, using concepts or ways of speaking that are easy to pick up in ways that, that distort what the intention of the teaching was about. Yeah. I certainly know for myself that has been true. And so I find it really helpful to come back. You know, teachings offered out of compassion, picked up out of compassion and that a Buddha's mind, you know, the, the awakened mind, rests either in emptiness, so freedom from the contraction of self-view, or in compassion. So we're not practicing to check out, to become disengaged, to become somehow walled off from everything. We're, we're releasing the mind from the things that distort our ability to see clearly. This is what we're doing. And the things that distort it are things like greed, hatred. You know, these are really strong words and often they're very subtle. But it means that we see something and we don't see it for itself. It's overlaid by what we want from it. Our, our kind of the distortions of the mind. And this is why we're practicing to really free up feeling, free up perception, free up the intending mind so that it can actually be present present to what is here and it can respond from compassion rather than from kind of contracting and trying to close down. So there was a question just about, about what practice means in relationship to the manifest world. Hmm. In my experience of people who have freed themselves up, they're so fully engaged. You know, I thought of Master Su Yin, and some of you have heard certainly me speak of him, other people speak of him. So, a uh, being who died in the late 50s, at 120, and he was a Chan practitioner. And he would, where he would walk, trees that had not flowered for 120 years would burst into flower. Uh, Animals would come, circumambulate him, and take refuge. This purity of harmlessness, 
so that everything recognised it. People, the endless people came for teaching, had he established endless places of practice. They were constantly ripped down because he was in the turmoil of the Cultural Revolution in China and he just kept creating opportunities. Trees aren't going to burst into flower as most of us walk around, but we get a sense of just the degree of attunement as possible. So, you know, this is a, one could say an extreme example, but it gives a taste of how, how alive the heart can be. And I think of Lumpur Char in the, in the tradition, the forest tradition we come out of, and how you know, there would probably be no forest left in Thailand, but for the, for the forest tradition. So that there's a sense that when the heart starts to purify, it starts looking after with wisdom what is around it. It's coming into the right relationship with the world. So this is not an abdication of responsibility. We're not sitting down, closing down as an ultimate statement on everything. We're here opening up, becoming more available, starting to attune what it feels like, what it means to be manifest with the karma we have, with this mind and body, and we're starting to release it out of the things that bring confusion. This is for our own well-being and for the welfare of others. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? No. Alex was saying, how do you explain it to other people? Because it looks like such a closing down, selfish thing to be doing on some level. Looked from the outside. But those you know, we know, we know what happens when we do this work. We have much more capacity to be with our own experience and with others' experience. So this is what we're doing. We're, we sit, we come into attunement with what is here. We're establishing mindfulness. <coughs> we're prepared to be with what is going on. And we keep cultivating the capacity to do that. And this becomes more and more refined as what is here becomes more refined. And you start to see the way ignorance happens. And we start to let it go. It starts, well, it let go by itself, doesn't it? We start for. Things that we haven't known become revealed. The, the 
metaphor, one of the metaphors Lumpur Char gives for practice, I find really helpful. My mind works that way, and it's, I'm sure all of you have heard it, but to let the mind become like a still forest pool, then all kinds of rare and precious animals will come to drink at it. So letting this system, this experience, calm and settle, come into this uprightness where it's not trying to get something, it's not trying to get away, it's not bringing that agitation, it's just here. And what happens internally, externally? You know, I've, I've been, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a forest in Russia, and when I first arrived, I saw a tiny little brown frog. And the temperature was burning hot, and I was just amazed. I don't know if you're the same, but frogs bring me a great feeling of joy. And this little frog. And I had a kind of wonderment. I mean, I don't know the forest at all, so I don't know what belongs and doesn't. And, I, and then, no more frogs. And I thought, this is what it's like, isn't it? And then, <coughs> over the retreat, mind calms, settles, opens, you get more clarity. And then the forest was full of them. Everywhere I looked, there were little brown frogs. Yeah, this this is what happens. Mm. Staying with the kind of animal thing. In this in this time, there is a building, a kind kind of retreat, a bit like the dining hall there. But they had a kind of double door, I guess, for when the great snows come. And there was a snake that had got into one part of it, had gone moved into the main part of the building and I was come across with a couple of people and they said, oh, there's a snake. And then there were these people grabbing at it like this, yeah. And kind of felt like, from where I could see, like they are kind of hitting it. And then everybody stepped back. And this, this was a mix, not of the retreatants, but of other people that were at this place for different things. So it's great, lot steps back. And I, it was just interesting to me because you know, here we'd been practicing and you know, I just picked it up and took it out. <laughs> and I thought, this is how it can be, isn't it? When the mind is settled, we see the fear of the animal. We don't, it's not, we don't get caught up in some kind of view about it. And you say, oh, these other people are just frightened. Maybe if I hadn't been doing what I'd been doing for the last days, maybe I'd have been frightened too, I don't know. But it was such, so obviously just a terrified creature. Yeah, we settle the mind and then we're responsive. This is what it's like. I'm sure you, you find this yourself. You see something, and rather than being all contracted in here, mm, make me tired if I do this or something, you just, you just help. 
And so we're just we're releasing ourselves out of this kind of self-obsession. And then and maybe we have that experience for a while and then another time we just see the snake and we're terrified. You know? It's not that these are the ultimate things, but we just can have moments of being freed out of you know, perceptions, ideas that just limit us. Yeah. You know, and I recognise I come from you know, Aotearoa, New Zealand, so, so I don't have snakes. I have no history of fear. Yeah. My Australian compatriots are, you know, a snake is a terrifyingly dangerous thing, and they have the deadliest snakes in the world. Yeah. It will induce a totally different reaction. There may be more wisdom in their response even. But you just see how the mind is conditioned. But in moments, you know, just sometimes we can be freed out of even old perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's just start to understand, you know, and we're not we're not trying to get stupid either. Mm-hmm. Well, I did say to the translator, is it dangerous? <laughs> and they said, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I had one moment of um, discernment happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's about just getting more flexibility, isn't it? Mm, we just, and we train like this in meditation and then it's possible in our response to other people rather than having already decided everything we have a little question mark you know, someone was talking about this the other day how they'd noticed that they had a, one very strong view about something they met it later and they realised that had a completely distorted perception. And we start to have the capacity to recognise this. And to be prepared to recognise we've been wrong. Takes a kind of humility, doesn't it? So, can we hold people with more question marks? I don't know why they did it. I don't know what was happening for them. I know what it felt like here, but I can't completely trust it either because I know at a different time it might have felt really different. Mm-hmm. That. So we're, we're getting space into this experience because we've been witnessing this with the breath that sometimes we sit down establish mindfulness in front of us and the mind just is with the breath it just loves it it's present you know the breath coming in you can just let the breathing happen you feel it's rippling it's loveliness everything starts coming together other times we sit down 
and the mind is just agitated. Mm. So we realize that this, this experience here is so affected by things. Mm. How can we trust and grasp anything as permanent and solid? When we recognize here, where we thought we had the most control, it's so random. Mm. Or seemingly random. Mm. But as we sit, we start to see how we're affected by conditions. Mm. We, you know, I had my grandfather hop into my head this morning. It's the image of him. And we were talking after about well, practice and just the sense of what people looked like when I was young. Yeah. Or what, what it used to feel like coming back from England to Aotearoa and what people looked like, how different they looked. And what was different was how their eyes focused. Yeah. My grandfather hardly read a book he read poetry to us sometimes. He left school at 12. <coughs> he spent his whole life in the bush or on the land. His eyes focused way out. Yeah. yeah. My uncle's eyes all focused way out. Yeah. They're used to looking at great space and landscapes. But where are we looking? We're looking at screens, at books, yeah. and there's nothing wrong in this, but just to recognize, how do we bring balance in our focus? Our generation is under quite a different conditioning, isn't it? So when we sit, our eyes have a kind of tension in them. And that's why Jatinder and I have been saying, don't watch the breath, because watching has attention <coughs> for most of us. We're not watching like my grandfather watched the world, which was so spacious and vast. And not to make that the true thing either. I mean, there's a lot of confusion and ignorance in that time as well but just to recognize, to start to get a kind of mirroring for where our own focus is. Yeah. So we're not watching because eye consciousness, we've got it so, so strong, so ripping in, and, and eye consciousness is the thing that most creates subject-object. It's really hard to really deeply relax. So we, we realize, oh, we need to come into a different way of contact in the world. Mm. Many of you will be like me, I have a, a practice of just watching the sky, watching the clouds on the sky. And that, that helps bring 
a more flexible flexibility in terms of focus and experience. Just we start to see the results of these things. Can can the mind flex, or has it got trapped at a comp- particular focal length? It's so seeing objects that can't see space. So caught. Well, there's likely to be a bit of being caught here because, you know, I, I really notice it with the work I do. I get kind of waves of things come in. And for two weeks, say, in two weeks I might read 300,000 words and have to critique them and comment on them. And the intensity of focus and that kind of critical mind. When you sit in meditation, wow, you can really feel what's happened. And then just knowing that, we, you know, we can relax that out. But we're just starting to recognize, oh, yeah. You know, and as we were talking earlier, you know, what it does do is it really means that the discriminative mind is really developed. The inquiring mind can be really developed. So this is one of the blessings of our age. Yeah. We, we have got less simplicity, but we have really uh, sophisticated capacity for inquiry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're in this thing where, as, as we've been saying, we need to balance this inquiry with tranquility or with the calming and settling of the mind. Some people have had to really um, learn how to inquire. Our work is to learn often just how to settle and stabilize the mind. So it can actually focus on the things the Buddha asks us to focus on. The things that really do start releasing the mind. Yeah. So it's not making anything right or wrong, it's just starting to understand when we sit down what our capacities are, what's been happening, what is the result. And what does it feel like we sit here? Can we sit here with this vast spaciousness? Feel all the space around us. So we're not tightening. And this it's about finding balance, isn't it? Here in this vast spaciousness. And the breath is happening. Just feeling it, letting it come, rippling through all by itself. And we don't have to do it, we don't have to get it. We're just knowing, we're just knowing breath is happening amongst everything that is happening. 
Mm-hmm. And we're letting that <coughs> be. Mm-hmm. And starting to attune to the rhythm and loveliness of it. Mm-hmm. Breathing. The relief of being with something so simple. So intimate. And we let that deeply relax us. Feeling the breath. Having a sense of the quality of it. The sutta says long, short. So pointing to a sense of being with it, knowing it. It's not an idea. No breath is the same as the next one. This is embodied presence. And letting our mind attuned to the loveliness of it. Mm. Breathing. And breathing, knowing how the body, we recognize how the body is affected, condition, how, what breath does to it. Because we feel the breath in the whole experience. Mm-hmm. We start to realize breath fills is in every sound. Mm-hmm. The whole perception of body changes. Mm-hmm. So feeling it from the inside. It's not an idea. It's no longer visual. Then just noticing if there's any stress, any doing, any strain in that. And we relax that. And this brings deeper calm. We're letting go of doing. It can be a a real sense of loveliness, sense of joy, pleasure, start to fill the whole experience of body. Rippling energy, and we let that be worked through the whole of the body, filling everything. So, as the Buddha talks about it, like the bath attendant who has the 
So that they, they look, really they're working the water so it's completely saturated. But not, not losing, just completely filling this experience of body. And in the process of this, we we can. There is a time when something starts recognizing that there's a degree of agitation. I'm talking about something subtle, just kind of um, kind of a vibration that can actually be settled. It's like the the whole system just relaxes into something even quieter, mm-hmm. into the steep sense of well-being. And the Buddha talks about this experience. We make the pleasure drench, steep, fill and pervade this body. So there is no part of the body unpervaded by the pleasure and rapture of concentration. Just as there is a lake whose waters welled up from below and it has no inflow from east, west, north or south and would not be replenished from time to time by showers of rain, then the cool fount of water Welling up in the lake would make the cool water drench, steep, fill and pervade the lake, so that there would not be a part of the whole lake unpervaded by cool water. So too we make this experience born, collected mind, drench, steep, fill and pervade this body, so that there is no part unpervaded this is a quality, sense of something just welling up. Mm-hmm. It has less activity in it than the kind of working the bath attendant was doing. This is the natural, like the natural spring of this energy, just drenching, steeping, filling the body. And we feel what this does for us. It starts to realign us out of stress, anxiety, into a profound sense of well-being. It's deeply all right to be here. So this is a really powerful experience to drink in when we've let go of many of the things that have kind of hindered us to kind of thinking, the, the planning, just here in the direct simplicity of breathing. Mm-hmm. And breath is happening. But it is this profound sense of well-being associated with it. And we know this.
and this is this is working with feeling and perception, knowing them, recognizing how they affect the heart, the kind of effective experience, the chitta. Starting to really directly experience this. And we keep letting go. Nothing needs to be held on to. The the metaphors for this deepening experience of letting go. Just as in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses that are born and grow in the water thrive immersed in the water (coughs) without rising out of it, and cool water drenches, steeps, fills and pervades them to their tips and their roots. So too there is no part of all these lotuses unpervaded by cool water. So too we make the pleasure divested of rapture, drench, steep, fill and pervade this body so there is no part of it unpervaded by pleasure. So feeling this, it's not an idea it's not a disembodied state. This is embodied presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feeling it because we touch Nibbana with the body. Yeah. It's not an idea. Mm-hmm. So we can think about this a lot. But it's in the direct experience we start to understand it. And we'll have moments where the mind just settles by itself and we get tastes of this. For some of you they may be more sustained at times. For others they're just moments and it may be outside the hall where the whole machinations fall away. Their mind is just quiet and receptive. And there's a profound sense of well-being. And just having these images, just letting that fill, pervade this whole experience. It's really powerful medicine. And in the progression of this, the, the, even a sense of, of um, pleasure, sukha, that even softens and becomes quieter. And the Buddha gives a metaphor. When, when, there's just this really strong mindfulness established, the mind is really even, 
We sit pervading this body with a pure, bright mind. So there is no part of this whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Just as though a person was sitting covered from head down with a white cloth, so that there would be no part of their whole body unpervaded by the white cloth. So too we sit pervading this body with a pure, bright mind. So there is no part of this whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Mm-hmm. So we're, you, know, you can see we're in the third tetrad of Anapanasati here. <coughs> we come into mind. Mm-hmm. And as you, you, know, you may recognize in this metaphor, there's less and less activity happening. Mm-hmm. Just covered by a white cloth. Mm. And we let that experience mm. stabilize and fill. Mm. And in, in many places in the Sutta, the Buddha would say, no, we let this happen by itself, it's natural. If you go ahead, he talks about an inexperienced it's a cow walking in pastures and then goes off to something it thinks looks very good but it's steep and far away it starts slipping and falling because it's inexperienced it doesn't know where to place its feet yeah so just as we can too in this process of Anapanasati if we start rushing ahead we can end up like a young cow the Buddha talks about, a bit lost and then slipping down the mountain. Not that we're climbing a mountain, but just a sense of we just keep true to where things are happening. It happens by itself, depending on conditions. And we just keep establishing the right conditions mindfulness, this ability to stay present with what is here, letting go. Wherever we feel mind grasping, we're letting go. And we can, when the mind becomes really revealed in this way, we can see there can be a tendency to grasp at that too. But the, the sense of gladness or, or deeper ease and letting go comes from just recognizing mind is mind. Mm-hmm. So extraordinary. Yeah, no. As it become more and more revealed. And so this brings even more profound sense of well-being. Mm. And what is happening is the mind, consciousness, are being freed out of always being configured by objects they're grasping. And then you get the kind of subject, and there's a strain in that. And these things are softening. 
just by themselves. As the focus of meditation gets finer, the kind of grasping a sense, subtle we're talking now, subtle sense of somebody here experiencing it gets finer too. Until yeah. there's a point where the mind releases out of all of that. For a moment, or completely, that once again is dependent on conditions. And we're just there with a mind that is completely upright. It isn't moving forward, it's not moving away, it's not doing anything. But it's completely present to what is. So, we're not constructing anything. Or Pasukege, you know, I don't, some of you will have read her writing. She has these beautiful metaphors about how in this process we're just coming to recognize what was always there. We just hadn't seen it yet. So it's not, it's not a process of constructing. It's a process of letting the things that hindered our clear, clear seeing fall away. Yeah. And coming more fully into reality. So just check out, can we let this process do itself? And this is taking really a mind that's really mindful, has mindfulness and discernment operating. We're really noticing what is going on. And then there's the opportunity to pick up this inquiry into Anicca from a mind that actually can see. So the arising and passing things. And what we're paying primary attention to is the kind of the, the fading, the passing of things. And it's not that we have to make this inquiry happen. The, the cultivation is that we've been practicing this everywhere. It's how we're starting to inquire into the world. So that when the mind is in the state of brightness, equanimity, quiet, this is a natural inquiry that happens. The mind, this is what it has been investigating. Because thinking is in a way to course, we're in a more subtle experience. So we get in this the kind of fruiting of what we've been inquiring into. And as Jitendra was saying last night, this is why 
we start noticing whatever we can this process of the arising, presence and ceasing things and with particular attention to this fading away. It, this experience more deeply releases the mind from the habit of grasping. Yes. Even if I tried to catch it, I couldn't. Things are doing their own thing. So, really letting the mind know this. But the body knows this. And we get this quality of viraga. Jitendra was talking about the different ways this can be translated. And we can have kinds of shades of meaning. One way that I found really comforting is a sense of dustless. Mm. Uh, a mind where nothing sticks. Mm. It isn't getting dusty. Mm. It just there's nothing there's nothing where things are getting caught. So there are there are lots of ways we can contemplate this stuff. Each of us has to know how it works best for ourselves. Different words have different resonances. Dustless may not mean anything to you. Freed of passion. Not free of life. Experiment. Mm-hmm. Let's just sit for a little bit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.